Hey there, my name is Jonathan Galvan, and I'm one of the pastors at Redeemer. Uh, we're so glad that you're tuning in to this sermon, and we pray that this sermon would be an encouragement to you. So please enjoy. Amen, y'all. Take a seat if you would, and if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And as you get there, just really quickly, uh, one item of housekeeping. I might be reminding you of this for uh, weeks and weeks and weeks every Sunday, but as you come in, if you could come as far forward as you can, and even when you come forward, kind of scoot in because it tends to fill up in the back and we're getting very full. And uh, so we're trying to avoid going to three services as long as we can. That will help us because we have plenty of seats scattered out. We just need you to get to the front. And here's a bonus. If you do, this is what I found out. Uh, if you're in the back of the room, sometimes you just kind of uh, look out and you can't see people moving. You can't hear them singing. And if you sit in the front, it's a very different experience. You get to hear hundreds of people singing. And so we should be... Um, be raising the cost, actually, the tickets here for the front row, because y'all are getting the best experience. But uh, because I love y'all so much and you're exemplary, you will get it for free once again. So help us every Sunday when you come in, come to the front, get, get kind of just, you know, let's fill in. Thank sardines when you come in. Can we do that? Yeah. All right, let's see what we're dealing with this morning. How are we doing this morning? Okay, not too bad. I'll get rolling. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we are going to be uh, all the way from verse 38 to 48. That's finishing out the chapter uh, of Matthew 5. Uh, and there's two sections that we're going to look at. So it's a lot, but uh, honestly, they're both dealing with very much the same topic or the same idea. Uh, basically, how do we respond uh, towards those who uh, hurt us or uh, they damage us or they say things about us or basically how do we love our enemies? And so because these two things, uh, these two sections are very similar, we're going to cover both of them um, this morning. And, um, you know, as we get to this second portion here, Jesus is going to call us to something uh, unbelievably radical, uh, I think probably impossible outside uh, of a work of the Holy Spirit to truly love our enemies. And how we define the word enemies is, is really, really important because there's a way in which we could define enemies, uh, you know, th to think about an enemy as somebody that just wants to kill you. And if we define it that way, we have just a really high level of the definition of enemy. We probably, most of us don't think, well, we probably don't have many enemies that fit in that category. So if we define enemy that way, uh, then what will happen is we'll listen to this sermon, listen to what Jesus has to say and think that doesn't really apply to me and kind of put it in a mental filing cabinet, maybe up in the mental attic that we don't really access that much because we don't have many people out to get us, all right? Now, I, I think um, that when Jesus is talking about loving our enemies, uh, he's actually talking about something that you and I probably experience on a daily basis. People that oppose us, that's what the word means. Enemies, someone that opposes us, someone that has hurt you, someone that feels like they're on the other team. They have caused uh, hurt towards you. They have uh, basically put you in a position where you either want to defend yourself or want to retaliate against them. If we define it that way, then it's not kind of in this filing cabinet up in the attic that we never use. It becomes a truth, honestly, that we need to put in our shirt pocket because we're going to have to access it quite a bit. Are y'all with me? And so that's what, like, this is just an incredibly helpful, practical, profound truth that Jesus is teaching us. How do we respond to people when they hurt us and when we are tempted to get back at them, to defend ourselves, or to retaliate? Now, uh, full disclosure, I oftentimes uh, think best 
when I'm driving. And so uh, sometimes I'll just drive on purpose. I'll just go with nowhere particular to go, uh, and uh, I'll be trying to think and pray and meditate, and I'll come up with some really good ideas, and I don't want to text while I'm driving. So I do voice text uh, basically to send emails to myself. And oftentimes when I get home, then I'll just copy and paste from my email, uh, whatever that was that was in my heart and my mind, uh, into my notes. And so I did that with this text, and so I almost didn't catch the typo because, like, how many of you use any kind of voice text? You don't realize how bad your accent or your pronunciation is until you do that. And then a day or two later, you go back and look at like, I don't even know what this is saying. Good grief. And so I'm working on my accent and my pronunciation because I got to my notes and I copy and pasted and almost, you're lucky that I caught this. The title of the sermon was almost how to love your enemas. And so <laughs> that would be true suppository preaching. I mean, expository preaching. So with that in mind, Matthew chapter 5, loving our enemies and those who were tempted to retaliate against. If you're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, say ready. This is what the Lord Jesus had to say. You have heard that it was said, and then as we've done the last few weeks, we've looked at these things where Jesus is taking something that was uh, probably common language on the street and tweaking it or fixing it or clarifying it. So he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I want to deal with this one first and then we'll look at the second section where Jesus, I think, basically takes the same idea and just pushes it even further. Um, so he says, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. At face value, probably when you and I read that, what we think is Jesus is saying kind of like the word on the street is that like the, the playground rules. If someone kicks you, kick them back. Uh, if someone lies about you, lie about them back. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I actually don't think that's what he is talking about. Uh, most uh, stuff that I've read these last few weeks uh, would say that he's probably kind of pointing our attention back to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 24. Uh, so Leviticus chapter 24, what that was doing uh, was laying out some of the rules and the guidelines uh, for courts of justice, okay? So to give them guidelines for, let's say that uh, there was a court that would be overseeing certain crimes in uh, Israel, and the, the guidelines that they were given were basically, uh, as you are trying to extend justice, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The punishment needs to fit the crime, okay? So it, that, that's where you get in the Old Testament the idea of capital punishment. If someone takes a life purposefully, their life is to be taken. That is an equal uh, level of justice. Uh, so this Leviticus 24 is to prevent uh, injustice basically in a court system. It's to prevent uh, the court from being uh, unjust, uh, just like giving 
handing out too much punishment, uh, where if you, you perform a misdemeanor and the death penalty, that is obviously unjust. And it's also designed to uh, keep from withholding justice or being too lenient uh, so that they don't give enough punishment and therefore don't deter uh, sin and crime. So uh, I would agree with most of the, well, the commentators I read this week that that's probably what is in Jesus's mind uh, when he is saying, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, and, and then he just kind of works through these things where he's saying, justice is a good and a right thing and justice needs to be left to the courts. So he's talking about personal response when we are hurt and sinned against. Okay, and he, he, it's not eye for eye, it's tooth for tooth. It's when you are sinned against, then we have to take this very Jesus-like posture of love and compassion and patience. Um, so uh, it, it, he's basically saying just be very, very careful uh, when we are hurt or injured to take the position to seek uh, personal vengeance or personal revenge which is a temptation if you've been hurt to feel that or to seek that. And so how then do we respond? And Jesus gives us a few things. I'll work through these um, fairly briefly. Do not resist the one who is evil. Uh, basically, if you kind of get in and dissect that, in the original language, Jesus would have preached this in. Uh, he is saying, don't view an evil person as a personal enemy. Uh, you can still love them as a, as a person and as an image bearer. You can still be very frustrated and, and hate the action and the sin that they've committed, but be very, very careful not to see that person as, uh, as our personal enemy, but to love as a neighbor. And then he says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. How many of you have been slapped this morning? Probably not many, right? Uh, th this one's really interesting because I think sometimes uh, we, we can think Jesus is saying something that he is not saying. Uh, and so I, I want to kind of lean into Jesus's life and his example and, and what he did and how he uh, responded to people to help us understand what he is saying and what he is not saying. Uh, because it almost sounds here like Jesus is uh, asking us to submit to abuse, uh, to not run away from a situation that might be hurtful, uh, to not d defend ourselves, and to not have any type of evasive action if somebody is uh, attacking us. And I don't think that's what he's saying, okay? Because in uh, John chapter 18, Jesus is slapped, uh, and he defends himself verbally, okay? You can go back, and you can read that later. Uh, in Mark chapter 9, uh, Jesus uh, could sense that they wanted to physically harm and hurt him and kill him. And so he evades them. He runs away. Okay, so like what is Jesus asking his followers to do? And as a parenthesis, just a reminder, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus teaching his disciples how to live. He's not showing us the way to become a Christian. The way to become a Christian is by responding to the gospel, repenting of our sin, trusting in Christ as a savior, by grace through faith we're saved, and then the Sermon on the Mount teaches us how to live. Uh, so, so what is he teaching and what is he expecting uh, of his followers? Uh, I, I mean, I think truly at the basis uh, of uh, if someone slaps you, Jesus says on the right cheek, then turn to them the other as well. Uh, there's a difference between a slap and a punch, 
right? A, a slap most of the time, especially in this culture, would have been basically a symbol of disrespect or dishonor, not trying to inflict pain and harm and permanent damage. And it's so interesting that Jesus doesn't just say, if someone slaps you on the cheek, what did he say? If someone slaps you on the right cheek. Okay, I, I read some interesting things about this this week that I think are probably true. There's a reason Jesus said right cheek because in their culture, just like ours, most people would be right-handed. So if you're going to slap somebody and they're facing, you're going to slap them on the left cheek. And so the right cheek was a sign of being backhanded, which was basically a form of insult. Do you remember, I think it's... Um, it's Robin Hood when they're like challenging, I think it's actually Robin Hood men in tights, uh, to be fair. When they're challenging each other to a duel, they like, pull, you know, he pulls his glove off and he just backhand slaps the right cheek. He's like, I challenge you to a duel. Do y'all remember that? It's like, because the point of that wasn't to knock the person out. It was an insult. And so I think what Jesus is saying is like, be prepared not to just purposefully endure and leave yourself in a place where you're going to be physically harmed or abused, but he's saying be prepared to endure maybe a mild level of abuse, but definitely uh, to be prepared to endure uh, insult without seeking revenge and without retaliating. Uh, Quarles, uh, who was a professor uh, that wrote a book just walking through the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, uh, never is the disciple more like the Savior than when he responds to abuses graciously and without retaliation. And you can look forward at how Jesus responded to those who insulted him in such a kind and a gracious way. And the Sermon on the Mount is, us, is Jesus teaching us how to be like him. Verse 40 continues, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Again, when you dig into the first century, you see that if somebody sued you and they found you guilty, then they could exact a payment. They could take your, for example, they could take your tunic. So Jesus is like, if you hurt somebody and they found you guilty, then go above and beyond paying things back and, and restoring the relationship and the honor. So like if you've been taken to court, they found you guilty, you owe them your tunic. Jesus says, we'll give them your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. Uh, at the time Jesus is preaching, uh, the Jewish area is occupied by the Roman army. And that was an incredibly insulting thing for uh, your generic Jew to have kind of this promise from God to, to be a nation and to have a promised land and yet to have this other uh, empire ruling you. And so like the, 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 the Roman soldiers... Uh, could at any time come through your hometown and they could uh, force you to carry their military gear, but they could only do it up to a mile. And, and so probably this is what Jesus is referring to. If a Roman soldier comes in and they say, hey, here's the deal. You have to help me carry my gear a mile. Jesus carry it too. The first mile is out of duty and obligation. Uh, Jesus is saying the second mile do it out of just compassion and, is, and a desire and willingness to serve. He says, give to the one who begs from you. Now, the Bible talks a lot about uh, people that are in need, people that are poor, and it would separate. It would not say uh, someone who is just able yet unwilling to work. They're just lazy. The Bible does not condone that. Uh, so it's somebody that is truly in need, and they are, they are in need for whatever reason. And if you have the ability to help, Jesus says, give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. If someone needs something truly in need and you have it, Jesus would say, Live with open hands so that you might give, share, and bless. And then we move on to the second section, uh, loving our enemies. And again, let's not categorize it as just people that 
really want to hurt you physically, but people that oppose you have hurt you. Uh, perhaps someone has lied about you. Maybe someone has gossiped about you. Maybe someone uh, should have trusted you, uh, but they did. There's a lot of things that would make us feel like a person is our enemy, but I think what categorizes what Jesus is talking about very well is an enemy is someone who has done something to you that will stir up in you a frustration, an anger, a, a willingness to try to retaliate or perhaps defend ourselves. Y'all with me? Now with that definition, do you have enemies? Okay, all of us do. And that's why what Jesus teaches is so practical. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy and they, whoever it was that said this or that perpetrated this, like they nailed it on half of it, right? <laughs> like, okay, you, you shall love your neighbor. True, absolutely. And some, whoever heard that and even maybe heard it from Jesus because Jesus says to love your neighbor, then they just kind of uh, wrote in the second half. Well, if we were commanded to love our neighbor, then obviously that means we're supposed to hate our enemy. And Jesus would say, no, that whole point of this was to love your neighbor and everyone's your neighbor, right? So, so like th there was twisted in the first place. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, and I'm just telling you what Jesus is about to say is so incredibly difficult and radical that it like the, the idea that someone might have an enemy and return that enemy's gesture with love and kindness and forgiveness. It's so radically counter to human nature. And, and, and it's like, I just don't think we can overestimate how, how radical what Jesus is about to ask us to do is. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust, and we would categorize that as something termed as common grace, um, that there's a ways that God is just commonly gracious to all people. All people get the sun, all people get the rain. He doesn't differentiate between the good and the bad based on sunshine and rain, right? You can't just drive through Midland the, the three days a year that it rains and just kind of look and be like, okay, well, it's raining on that house and not on those two houses. Those people are evil. And like, like this common grace, in a common way, God is just very good and kind in, in a generic way. And there's some special graces that he has reserved uh, for those who belong to him. Common grace, verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Go back to verse 43. And uh, I, I think it might be worth it to highlight, circle, underline, whatever might draw your attention in the future, because this is one of the most foundational commands Christians are given and ways that we are to understand who Jesus is and what he has done. Love for enemies. As I prayed this week and read and studied and did some voice texts on my phone, 
I thought like some, sometimes there's just certain people that because of their life experience, uh, perhaps they have a deeper understanding of certain texts in the Bible or certain ideas. Uh, and so I was wondering like, is there a person that probably uniquely has a deep, a deep reservoir of personal experience that will help them understand particularly this idea of loving our enemies? Uh, so like, let's say, uh, and this is probably, um, there's a lot of places in the Bible where someone with experience, it's not that they learn something different from the text, Right? It's just that we have a deeper understanding because of what, like if you have been adopted, uh, then you probably have a very deep understanding when the Bible talks about being adopted. If, if you're poor, you probably have a deep understanding for what the Bible says when it talks about God loving and protecting the poor and so on and so forth. So I thought, like who would have a very deep reservoir of experience um, to, to maybe understand this text and very quickly, uh, I, I just landed on Martin Luther King uh, because that was kind of the basis uh, for much of his preaching and ministry uh, was trying to love his enemies and those that very actively hated him. Now, when we quote, quote Martin Luther, it's the same as quoting anybody else except for Jesus. They're fallible men but he had some incredible insight. So I actually found uh, a sermon uh, where Martin Luther King uh, was preaching this very text that we're in uh, today in Matthew chapter five. And I read this sermon, it was incredibly powerful. Uh, and so I'm gonna do some, probably some hefty quotes from it. Uh, if time allows, uh, because because of the way that he was hated by so many people and yet refused to retaliate. And as he's looking at the scriptures, he's reading the same Bible I am, but I, you, you know, you just get this sense that his experience just has a depth to understand it that maybe in a way that we don't. So he tells a story in this sermon. Of, of his brother and him when they were driving uh, between Chattanooga, I believe it was, and, uh, and, and Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and he talks about on the road at night between the two cities, uh, there was this long string of what they called discourteous drivers. You ever met one of them? It's like, I think he might have lived in Midland. And he says this, he says, as cars passed along the narrow roads, other drivers, they either forgot or they refused to dim their lights brights just on, glaring in their face. Exasperated, Dr. King, it says, his brother declared that the next car that did not dim their lights was going to receive the same treatment. He says, I am going to fail to dim my lights and pour them on in all their power. <laughs> you felt that, right? <laughs> I am, and so quickly, uh, Dr. King assesses the possibilities and he says this. He says, uh, he replied uh, that to do so would only make things worse. He said, somebody needs to have some sense on the highway. Someone has to dim the lights. And this is like a very basic accessible analogy. But what he is saying is like if you have two cars on the highway, one just is inconsiderate and blaring the lights, then your temptation is to give them the exact same thing. And so you pour on the brights and then they get mad uh, and they swerve at you and you get mad and you swerve. Like it's just this downward spiral. He's like someone has to dim the lights. 
And, and, and he would make this case, and I, I totally agree, that if you just kind of zoom back at human history, then what you see is not just individuals, but civilizations that have been hurt by one another, seeking revenge, just kind of war after war, calamity after calamity, problem after problem, trying to seek it through vengeance, just causes this cyclical destruction. Because that's the way the world is wired. If you have an enemy, give them what they deserve. He says this, uh, men must see that force begets force, hate begets hate, and it is all a descending spiral, ultimately ending in destruction for all. Someone must have sense enough and morality enough to cut off the chain of hate and the chain of evil in the universe. And then I'll steal a quote from him in another place, another sermon. You know this quote. He says, for darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate can't drive out hate. Only what? Only love can do that. And then he quotes Napoleon, not dynamite. Napoleon one day stood back after he had conquered so much of the known world. Napoleon one day stood back and he looked across the years and he said, Alexander, referring to Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have built great empires. But upon what did they depend? He says they depended on force. He says, like, this is, this is Napoleon reflecting. He says, but long ago, Jesus started an empire that depended on love, and even to this day, millions will die for him. So if you take this idea of like someone has to dim the lights. He says like that is what Jesus has done very generically to humanity that you have this cycle of, of hatred and enmity towards God and God could have just turned on the brights and given us what we deserve but instead he decides to take the path of loving enemies and he begins this thing where now people can respond to the Christ because Christ took the initiative of love. Jesus stepped into a world that was spiraling out of control in this horrible cycle of destruction, and he responded to it not by giving what was deserved, but by loving his enemies. He's done it in a generic way for all the world, but he's done it in a specific way towards every Christian. If you're a believer, you truly have responded to the gospel. You may not know this, but you were God's enemy. And Jesus decided he would be the first one to dim the lights. He, he didn't just love the world generically. You were his enemy, and he did not give you what you deserved. He loved his enemy. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 10 and 11 says this, because I think sometimes maybe it's hard to understand, uh, or maybe for some of you to believe that we're actually enemies of God, because we don't feel like we're that bad. Uh, we probably don't feel like we're that sinful, uh, but the Bible would say that we, without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit changing us, Jesus interceding, that we're enemies of God. Romans 5 says this, for if while we were enemies, everybody, like this is important, everybody say, if while we were if while we were enemies, what does that say? That we were all enemies of God. And what happened while, in the moment that we were enemies, what happened? We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. How are we enemies of God? Okay, maybe you don't want to kill God. We're not defining enemy that way. Well, how are humans without 
the gospel changing them enemies of God. Uh, we tend to try to rob God's glory, a glory that is due to God. We try to step in, and, and, and as humans, we want the credit, we want the spotlight, we want to steal the glory. That's an enemy uh, of God. Uh, we reject God's commands and God's design. That's an enemy of God. We don't trust him uh, when we should. Uh, perhaps we even lie about who God is and what he has done, and we slander him, uh, or perhaps even ignore the God of the universe. There's a lot of ways in which just we, we are set up as enemies of God, and Jesus decided that he was going to be the one to step in and end the hate. So he gives love, bef not, not, not while it is earned. He just, in and of himself, he loves his enemies. That's why Jesus uniquely can say, love your enemies, because he's given us such a profound and crystal clear example to follow. Over and over and over, you see Jesus loving his enemies. So if this is the command that he's given us in Matthew 5, listen to what Martin Luther King said about this. He says, now let me hasten to say that Jesus was very serious when he gave this command. He wasn't playing. He realized that it's hard to love your enemies. He realized that it's difficult to love those persons who seek to defeat you those persons who say evil things about you. He realized that it's painfully hard, pressingly hard, but he wasn't playing. And we can't dismiss this passage as just another example of oriental hyperbole, just a sort of exaggeration to get over the point. This is a basic philosophy of all that we hear coming from the lips of our master because Jesus wasn't playing. He was serious. So we have this Christian and moral responsibility to seek to discover the meanings of these words and to discover how we can live out this command and why we should live by this command. Last quote from him that I'll give you this morning. He's talking about if, if we try to, to understand the cross in the way that it's the emblem of God loving his enemies, he says this, talking about the cross. There is a little tree planted on a little hill, and on that tree hangs the most influential character that ever came into this world. But never feel that the tree is a meaningless drama that took place on the stages of history. Oh no, it's a telescope through which we look out into the long vista of eternity and see the love of God breaking forth into time. It is an eternal reminder that love is the only way. Someone has to dim the lights. Just looking at the cross, you see this unbelievable example that God was willing to love his enemies. So when Jesus commands it, he has gone before us to give us an example. Real quickly. Why? Why should we love our enemies? Is it because um, if you truly love someone that's an enemy, you might be able to kind of turn them and, and, and your love for them might soften them and make them a friend? Uh, that, that very well might be the case, but that's not why Jesus says to do it. Uh, is it because love diffuses hate? That very well is the case most of the time, but that's not why Jesus says it. Uh, if you go back and look in Matthew chapter 5, he says, so that we may be sons of our Father. He's saying, like, that not because of the result uh, are, are we to do this, although those things normally take place. Simply do this because you are reflecting Jesus to the world. 
that's why it's so important that we get this right. Like, I don't know that there's any other world or religious leader that has the ability to turn the human nature on a dime to where we don't retaliate, to where we just simply love our enemies. Uh, three quick things I want to unpack just for a moment on how. So we got like, we got the what, what, love your enemies, super clear. Okay, how or, or why? Well, because that's the, that's the type of love that Jesus has and we need to reflect that. Um, so a couple things that I want to share with you very practically on how. When someone hurts you, how do you love them? When someone lies about you, gossips about you, slanders you, whatever it might be, how do you go about trying to obey what Jesus has commanded us to do? Three things that are very helpful for me. I hope they're helpful for you. Number one, reflect on how Christ has treated you. If you have, listen, th there is a direct correlation between the amount of love and grace and forgiveness you are able to dispense to others and how much we've received from Jesus. Okay, directly correlated. And so here's, here's the deal. If you struggle to love your enemies, that, you know this, that reveals that we just really don't think we're that bad. And we really don't think that we were Jesus's enemy and he forgave us. If, you, if we struggle, and all of us do to some level, if we struggle to have grace for someone else, it's because we really struggle to believe that we needed grace. Like the, the, it's like gr grace in, grace out. Love in, love out. We don't have a reservoir to do something like this unless you truly reflect on what Jesus has done for you. Like that's the ground zero for all of this. And so if we have an elevated view of ourselves, like, I'm really not that bad. I know some people that are enemies of God. I'm not as bad as them. Like if that's our view, we have a diminished view of our sin, therefore we will have a diminished view of God's grace, and therefore we will have a very small reservoir to pull from to extend to other people. Like reflect on how, like nobody, I, like nobody treated Martin Luther King worse than somebody treated Jesus, okay? No one will hurt you worse than we hurt Jesus. Like no one will sin against you more than we sin against Jesus. Je this is what I'm saying. Jesus has the deepest reservoir. And if you understand the scriptures that we were his enemy and he loved us and saved us and redeemed us and adopted us anyway, you have an inexhaustible amount of grace and love for anyone. Like, but be honest, like why do I struggle with forgiving this person? We, because we don't think Jesus forgave us that much. Reflect on how Christ has treated new. Now, number two, Jesus said this. He said, pray for your enemies. And now you, you got to be really specific in how you pray, okay? So you're like, yeah, I pray for my enemies. Lord Jesus, Billy Bob hurt me. Would you smite him, okay? That's a prayer for an enemy. That's not the, the example that Jesus gave us, right? I mean, you fast forward to Matthew. You see Jesus on the cross. What is he doing? He's forgiving his enemies. He's praying for his enemies. Lord, don't hold this against them because they don't know what they're doing. He's actively praying for his enemies. And listen, it's really hard to hate someone that you're praying for. True? If you have an enemy, think about what Jesus has done for you and pray for them. Pray for blessing. Pray for 
Christ's presence, whatever it is, pray good things for them, pray forgiveness for them, pray for them. Uh, That's what Jesus told us to do. And number three, entrust yourself, and I think the broader situation and even the person that has hurt you, entrust yourself to God who judges justly. Uh, do, Do you get frustrated when you see injustice or if you feel something unjust, like, is that just me? You're really, really frustrated. So, like, it feels like there's a, like, it's really hard to love enemies because you're withholding justice. And, and so what, what, what Peter tells us to do in 1 Peter 2, 23 is, uh, is just to, like, hand that over to the Lord and let the, the Lord deal with justice. And he will. But he'll do it in a right, in a perfect way. Because as, as Tim Keller has pointed out recently in a book on forgiveness, uh, if, if we just retaliate, we're not seeking justice, we're seeking revenge, and those are very different things. This is what Peter says. When he, talking about Jesus, the example of Jesus in forgiving his enemies, he says, while he was reviled, he did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten. How? Why? What did he do? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Like to flip a switch in our mind, listen, Jesus is a good and a right judge. He will get justice. I don't have to. Submitting yourself to God is such a huge weight off of your shoulders. How can you respond to an enemy in love? Jesus taught us to. We pray for them. And we entrust ourselves and the whole situation to God and he'll sort it out in the end. I I truly think this is a very powerful truth to keep in our shirt pockets so that we become the type of people that Jesus has called us to be. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.